This is a time set for first day motions and a motion to shorten time in the case of ICAP Enterprises, Inc., case number 23-01243. Again, the matter before the court are motions referenced and the case docket as ECF number 3, 5, number 14, 15, 16, 17, and 33, and the motion to shorten time is number 37. On behalf of the of the debtor, we have Bernard Ballinger. We also have Jody Rooley. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Kayla Tarasi. Good afternoon. On behalf of the ICAP equity note holders, we have Armin J. Cornfell. Good afternoon, Your Honor. And John Bender. On behalf of, I'm so sorry. On behalf of um, equity uh, holder, we have Matthew Lesnick. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Todd Tracy, on behalf of Stephen Rangu, Bian, Bian Bian Chang, and Yang Chi Ling. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Michael Feinberg, on behalf of Serene Investment Management, LLC. Uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. Adine Rubenstein, Rubenstein, on behalf of Serene Investment Management. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Lance Miller, on behalf of Paladin Management. Good afternoon, Your Honor. R. Omar Riojas, on behalf of Bastia et al., Good afternoon, Your Honor. Gary Dyer on behalf of the U.S. Trustee. Good afternoon, Your Honor. And Ji Chao Wang on behalf of Gen G. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Is there anyone else on this call that I did not identify? Thank you. Go, go ahead. We'll go to Pierce on behalf of the debtors. Thank you. This hearing is being recorded. You may proceed. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope that you're all doing well. Um, so we're here today for the first day hearings um, in these Chapter 11 cases. Um, we have uh, several motions that we can proceed through kind of seriatim. Um, and then we can talk about some scheduling things, including scheduling a final hearing on uh, the motions for which only interim relief is being sought today, and then uh, this probably is a significant enough case that we should, um, I, I should enter an order setting some uh, monthly omnibus hearing dates, maybe even more frequently, um, at least in November, December, and January. We can chat about that. Um, before we get to the substance, though, I typically offer um, in all my Chapter 11 cases uh, at, at our periodic hearings, um, a chance for the debtor's counsel to make um, a presentation or any comments or previews of coming attractions um, he or she may want to um, make. And I find those to be uh, particularly valuable at the initial stages of the case. Um, I do have a couple kind of big picture comments um, and questions just from reading the papers. Um, but why don't I give an opportunity, um, I don't know, Mr. Mr. Bollinger or Mr. Gouley, um, I'll hand it over to uh, either of you if you'd like to 
um, make any initial comments. Yes. Thank you, Your Honor. This is, for the record, Julian Gurley of Buckhalter Proposed Counsel for the debtors and debtors in possession. Um, Your Honor, can you hear me okay? Be sure. Uh, yes, I can, I can hear, hear you well. Thank you, Mr. Gurley. Okay, cool. So, uh, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, I think that game plan uh, sounds good. Uh, at, at the top, Your Honor, uh, we, I know the debtors um, and my firm would like to thank uh, the court, Your Honor, your staff, um, for accommodating us today. We obviously filed a lot of debtors um, over the last few days, starting on September 28th, or excuse me, September 29th, and truly appreciate the court uh, and your staff's attention to this case already. It's been enormously helpful. Um, and thank you, Your Honor, for scheduling this hearing uh, for us making time to give us the schedule and permitting, uh, of course, telephonic appearances, which I know are probably helpful in making sure that all parties um, are able to attend uh, and have their counsel on the line. Um, Your Honor, also thank you for already entering the joint administration order, which, at least from a logistical standpoint, in managing our docket and our first administration, it was very helpful to get that um, entered early. So thank you. Um, also, Your Honor, uh, there are a number of parties and professionals on the line that I think um, some of whom, Your Honor, has already seen in prior cases. Some may be new, but uh, we've been working with, uh, I would say, a core group of professionals and stakeholders, which I'll, I'll describe in a bit. Uh, but I do want to uh, inform the court that I do believe that at this point, uh, at least with respect to the relief immediate, immediately in front of the court today, this should be largely a consensual hearing. Um, and so in that respect, I would like to thank uh, our diplomatic I should say, proposed defender and its counsel, uh, as well as counsel for what we're referring to as the ad hoc group, Your Honor. Um, they are represented by John Bender and Jake Kornfeld for On the Line, um, as well as counsel for Mr. Christensen, who is Mr. Lesnick, um, all of whom have been really working tirelessly over the last few weeks uh, and increasingly so over the last few days to try to get this uh, Chapter 11 case filed in an order of the day um, and set up, as I said, today's hearing in what I think should be, aside from maybe a few um, issues tied on that, and of course the court's views, uh, a pretty consensual hearing. Uh, Your Honor, I would also like to let the court know that we have Mr. Lance Miller on the line. Mr. Miller uh, is at the, the firm of Paladin Management. Mr. Miller, as Your Honor may have seen in the first day declaration, is the sole board member of ICAP Enterprises, Inc. He is also the chief restructuring officer of that entity and the manager of the various subsidiary debtors. Um, and just to be clear, Your Honor, he is the sole person in control of the debtors that is the position base. Your Honor, also likely saw that Mr. Miller is the declarant for all of the relief that the debtors are requesting today. Um, so as we go through the agenda, I think we will ask the court to admit this declaration as our evidentiary support, the various declarations as support for this motion. Um, I would also like to point out, Your Honor, I'm joined by some of my colleagues at Buckhalter, Bo uh, Bollinger, Khaled Tarazi, and Victor Pierce, um, who I think you'll see more of as this case advances. Um, so, Your Honor, with that, it, it pleases the court. I think the way 
how we see the case um, unfolding. Uh, after that, Your Honor, we do, as you noted, have some first-day motions that we've asked the court to consider today. There are a number of what I think of as administrative and operational motions. My colleague, Mr. Tarazi, will handle those. We also have um, a dip motion and a motion to approve a consulting agreement, which I would propose to handle. Um, Your Honor, I would say we take those in that order, but we can do it in whatever order Your Honor um, like. Um, and then at the end, I do think it makes sense to talk about um, a second day hearing, you know, sort of coming into action, as we said, Your Honor. Uh, thank you, Mr. Gilley. That um, all sounds good to me. That um, preparatory comments, I think, will be helpful. And then um, I think we just take the motions in the order they were filed with. Um, as is my practice, you may recall from yesterday, I always take up the short and time motion at the same, you know, before we get to the underlying motion. So we'll uh, check that off and then go through the uh, remainder, remainder of the motions in the order they were filed on the office. So that sounds good. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, and I do recall that. Um, so for the record, again, Julian Garulli, a Paul Coulter, proposed counsel for the debtors and debtors in possession. Your Honor, the debtors were founded beginning in 2007 by Chris Christensen. The debtors maintained their headquarters in Bellevue, Washington until the summer. The debtors at one point had 35 employees. As stated in the first day declaration, the debtors laid off all of their employees' prepositions over the spring of 2023. The debtors were formed to invest in real estate in the Pacific Northwest. The debtors grew quickly and ultimately raised more than $245 million of capital. I would pause for a moment, Your Honor, to note that the debtors' books and records are subject to ongoing review and assessments by the debtors' financial advisors. So we are offering some of these amounts, Your Honor, for illustrative purposes for the court parties and interest can get a sense of the magnitude of the amount, but they are subject to ongoing review. Uh, the debtors generally organized their business into two divisions. First, the debtors established what's termed a portfolio business, which focused on development opportunities for multifamily real estate projects. Second, in 2018, the debtors established the vault business, which focused on real estate investments that were already cash flowing or were contemplated to, to do so soon. Both businesses were ultimately operated through subsidiaries of ICAP Enterprises, Inc., which is our lead debtor and the direct or indirect 100% equity holder of all of the debtors, aside from ICAP Investments, LLC. ICAP Enterprises, Inc. maintains the headquarters in Bellevue, as I mentioned, which has not been vacated. We also understand that ICAP Enterprises, Inc. was the employer of the majority of the debtor's employees, all of whom, as I mentioned, were laid off through positions. Your Honor, as described in the first day declaration, the debtor's business was heavily financed through debt. There are property-level debtors with third-party mortgages, we have a chart laying out what we understand to be the properties owned or controlled by the debtors as of the petition date, beginning on page five of the first day declaration. But, Your Honor, the property level mortgage debt candidly pales in comparison to the note obligation issued by the debtors to investors. 
the portfolio side debtors, we understand, issued over $200 million in note obligations with approximately $193 million still outstanding. These notes were not issued by the property level SPE debtors, but rather by debtor entities that directly or indirectly held ownership interest in the property level SPE debtors. There's a chart, Your Honor, on page seven of the declaration that describes what we understand to be the note obligations on the portfolio side. The largest issuers appear to be ICAP Equities LLC with approximately $65.4 million in outstanding principal and interest. ICAP Northwest Opportunity Fund LLC with approximately $34.3 million in outstanding principal and interest. And ICAP Pacific Northwest Opportunity and Income Fund LLC with approximately $34.7 million in outstanding principal and interest. I would also pause, Your Honor, briefly to note in our petition packages as well as the first day declaration, we attached a corporate structure chart, Your Honor, that I think would be helpful going forward. I do want to note, though, Your Honor, that that chart is based on the books and records and organizational documents that we had access to leading up to the petition date. We have on the, in the few days leading up to the petition date, added the debtors that we may have seen, a number of which were our Saturday morning debtors. Those debtors are not on that chart, but we do intend to keep updating that chart and we can make it available to the extent it's helpful for parties. But that chart, as I would term it, Your Honor, is correct, but it is not fully complete. But I just wanted to note that, too. So that, Your Honor, is the portfolio side. On the vault side of the business, we understand the debtors issued two classes of notes referred to as private placement notes and public demand notes. According to the debtors' books and records, approximately $36.2 million in the aggregate of vault notes are outstanding. Of course, Your Honor, the next question naturally is, who holds these notes? These notes are not held by institutional investors, but rather, as far as we can tell, by individuals. Based on the debtors' books and records, there appear to be approximately 1,800 individual investors. Many of these investors invested tens of thousands of dollars, but some invested substantially more, including some holders with note claims in the millions of dollars. And Your Honor likely saw that reflected in our consolidated top 30 list that we filed with the petition. The holders of the notes are broadly distributed geographically, with holders throughout the United States and overseas, including in China, Taiwan, the UK, and the British Virgin Islands. Critically, Your Honor, I do want to emphasize something that we noted, that Mr. Miller noted in his first day declaration, and that is that since the debtors' retention of Paladin in July of 2023, no new securities have been offered for sale, issued, or sold. Finally, Your Honor, to complete the capital structure, the debtors' ultimate equity holder remains Mr. Christensen. Mr. Christensen is the sole shareholder of ICAP Enterprises, Inc. and ICAP Investments, LLC. 
stated in the first day declaration on September 28, 2023, Mr. Christensen resigned all positions of the CRO, Chief Restructuring Officer of ICAP Enterprises, Inc., and manager of the other debtors. I also want to note that, you know, something, Your Honor, that we did not make clear in that declaration, Your Honor, and that is that Mr. Christensen's declaration, Mr. Christensen's resignation was expressly irrevocable, as was Mr. Miller's appointment. So, turning briefly, Your Honor, to how we got here. Late last year, the debtors became unable to service their debt obligations. We understand that the debtors attempted to identify and execute capital raising efforts, but those were unsuccessful. By this summer, investors were sending demand letters and commencing litigation. Page 31 of the first day declaration lays out the pre-petition active no-folder lawsuit that involved the debtors as defendants. The complaints in those lawsuits contained causes of action for fraud, violation of state consumer protection laws, breach of contract, and civil conspiracy, among other claims. The debtors have also received a letter from the State of Washington Department of Financial Institutions with the debtors and their advisors intent to address them in their claims, now that we're in Chapter 11. Ultimately, Your Honor, one group of no-folders, represented by Mr. Kornfeld and Bender, succeeded in obtaining a state court TRO. That TRO broadly restricted the debtors from accessing their bank accounts and, candidly, Your Honor, accelerated the debtors' need to prepare for Chapter 11. The debtors and their advisors ultimately, after hard-fought negotiation, entered into what we have termed the filing support agreement, which is attached to Mr. Miller's first day declaration, and the terms of which are outlined in the declaration. The filing support agreement, Your Honor, in my view, was a tremendously positive development, given that it paved the way for an orderly Chapter 11 filing. Your Honor, at the time, the debtors were in dire straits from a liquidity perspective, and we remain so, Your Honor, which we will talk about. And the filing support agreement made it possible to raise a bridge loan from Serene Investment Management, who is our proposed gift lender, and prepare for these cases, which we believe, ultimately, Your Honor, to be in the best interest of all creditors. The filing support agreement also required Mr. Christensen's recognition, as described previously, as well as Mr. Miller's appointment as sole board member of CRO Management. It also laid out a few items that Your Honor will recognize in the relief request before the court today, including Mr. Christensen's contingent guarantee of the gift financing, subject to approval of his consulting agreement, and the filing of a state extension motion to state litigation against the Christensen's, who, Your Honor, are not debtors in these Chapter 11 cases. The individuals, Mr. Christensen and his wife, Deborah, are not Chapter 11 debtors in these cases. The filing support agreement also stayed the litigation by the ad hoc group against the Christensen's, subject to the terms of that agreement. I can tell you, Your Honor, that since the execution of the filing support agreement and entry into the bridge facility, it has been 
a nonstop effort to get these many debtors prepared for this Chapter 11 case. I do know that our firm and counsel to the other major parties in interest and the principals themselves have been fully committed to seeing these cases filed, obtaining the benefits of the automatic stay, and turning to the critical and pressing issues that now confront us. So, Your Honor, where do we go from here? We have a lot of issues to address in these Chapter 11 cases, and we, the debtors, and the debtors' proposed advisors are committed, excuse me, are committed to prosecuting these cases as efficiently and with as much consensus and creditor buy-in as possible. The debtors, under the direction of their independent CRO, Mr. Miller, are laser-focused on maximizing the ultimate recovery for creditors. With that in mind, and to close my introductory presentation, the debtors have determined in consultation with their stakeholders, including the ad hoc group, to pursue three primary objectives. First, the debtors must analyze their real property portfolios and quickly develop a plan to maximize the value of these holdings. The debtors will likely seek authority to retain a real estate advisor or broker. The debtors' real estate, in my view, Your Honor, likely represents the most readily available source of cash to pay creditor claims. Second, Your Honor, there are serious allegations in the complaints filed against the debtors as described. These issues have to be addressed. Needless to say, this investigation may show that the, that the estate holds claims arising from the raising of investor capital and other issues. And, of course, Your Honor, I expect this to be a major work stream for the debtors. Third, the debtors intend to pursue confirmation of a plan of liquidation. The debtors are committed to seeking a consensual plan that allocates sale proceeds and potential causes of action or recovery from causes of action for the debtors. We believe, Your Honor, that a confirmed plan of liquidation offers the best route forward for creditors and the estate. So, Your Honor, with that, I think Your Honor may have questions, but that completes my presentation. And in terms of the first day relief, I will yield it to Mr. Tarazi, but I would probably, in the first instance, Your Honor, take questions from me and take those myself. Thank you, Mr. Gouley. So I've read the papers that have been filed so far. I don't have too many questions. Certainly, I understand there are a lot of concerns among the investors about how we've gotten here, a lot of allegations in the state court litigation. Just on its face, I think it's about $137 million mismatches of November last year between the assets and liabilities raises some questions about how we got there. I certainly think that will need to be and should and will be investigated. I think broadly the objectives, as you've described today and as outlined in the papers, are appropriate. I wrote an opinion last year in a case called In Re Easter Day Ranches where I shared my thoughts about some of the duties of estate fiduciaries in Chapter 11 cases, which include acting quickly to maximize value, reaching consensus, transparency, many things along the lines of what you've described on the record today, and I think also consistent with what the ad hoc group 
indicated it desires in its response, including um, the importance in a, in, in, a, in a case of this sort of uh, promptly moving things forward to prevent um, asset values dwindling. Um, when, as it looks like is the case here and was true in yesterday, um, the uh, liquidation likely is the only available outcome. Um, that that value usually only goes in one direction with the press of time. Um, there's not ongoing business operations that uh, yield value. So um, acting quickly to reduce the burn um, benefits all all stakeholders. So I'm pleased to hear um, the debtors and Mr. Miller will be proceeding with that goal in mind here. Um, just one comment, I guess, because this did stand out to me in, in, in the papers and you, and you mentioned it in your presentation. Um, I don't think we can proceed by motion in terms of ex getting a 105 injunction against the note holder um, litigations for the, for the benefit of Mr. Christensen. Obviously, I'm not addressing the merits of that today. But um, if you haven't seen it, there's a Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals case called Inray Excel Innovations that generally outlines the framework that I'm duty-bound to apply to those sorts of requests in terms of the legal standards. And I think procedurally, Excel Innovations and Federal Bankruptcy Procedure 7001-7 um, are going to require that that relief be obtained by adversary. Um, you may remember, Mr. Gouley, in um, yesterday cases, uh, the debtor sought similar relief um, ultimately, I, I think, against just Rabobank and, and had to do that via adversary in a two-step TRO process and then a permanent injunction. I did see shortly before um, we started this afternoon that some stipulations to say certain of the litigations have been filed, um, which also harkens back to Easter Day where um, the vast majority of the litigation against the non-debtors likewise was stayed on a consensual basis such that only the single adversary had to be filed. But um, I guess before anyone gets too far down the road with doing that by motion, I'm, uh, I can always change my mind that I'm, I'm skeptical that works by motion. So I just want to make sure yeah. we're not running, running down a, a blind alley, I think. Yeah. Your Honor, uh, for the record, Julian Blue, Your Honor, thank you very much for, for that commentary. Um, and it, as you can imagine, Your Honor, has been a very active and clear situation up until even the, the, the start of this hearing today. So, Your Honor, and a lot of your commentary, I'll just say as an aside, reflects some of, some of my discussions with other parties, including Mr. Lesnick. And you'll see, Your Honor, that I think there are a lot of, um, there's a, a lot of instructive examples from how uh, the debtors in the Easter Day case uh, address some, some similar issues that we've used. We've used that in a lot of ways uh, to guide our thinking um, because and I said, and, and in, in a lot of ways, uh, what the debtors had in front of them to execute on in terms of the property, you know, principles, uh, still involved, some, some of these allegations were, were very similar. So, Your Honor, what, what I'm thinking, and I absolutely agree with you, Your Honor, in terms of the necessity of uh, if we are to seek injunctive relief, that it must be by an adversary case, uh, is stated in our BIP papers, and maybe this is a good moment to, to address this. I was planning to address it in connection with the BIP timing, but uh, now it's probably more appropriate in light of the comments. Uh, in order to trigger Mr. Christensen's guarantee, there were a number of conditions, one of which was the court's interim approval of the consulting agreement today, which we'll talk about later. The second, as Your Honor saw, was 
information. Um, in my conversations with counsel for Mr. Christensen, my view was consistent with the comments you on that I would be co commenced through an adversary case, and it would be a, a motion for a TRO in effect, Your Honor. Uh, since, since that time, the commencement of the case is um, over the last few days, Your Honor, I can tell you that I've personally been engaged in outreach to the additional uh, existing active plaintiff's firms with investor lawsuits that involve the Christensen, trying to get them to enter into exactly the stipulation you saw filed immediately before this hearing. That stipulation, um, under its terms, satisfies, because it's more efficient and more consensual, uh, it satisfies that stip guarantee condition because we're giving the stay that we would be seeking through the, through the adversary proceedings, Your Honor. And we would endeavor, Your Honor, we now have, uh, we now have one plaintiff group signed up to it. I anticipate, based on constructive discussions with the others, that the additional plaintiffs will sign up to it, too, in short order. You know, I can't obviously commit them to do it, but I think directionally that's likely where it's headed. If that does not happen, they will on it. just see when you have an opportunity to read that stipulation. The debtors did, though, reaffirm their commitment for any non-consenting, with respect to any non-consenting holders, that we will file a state motion. Um, and we'd ask, Your Honor, one of the things uh, I wanted to raise at the close of today's hearing was, if necessary, availability uh, of the court for, for a hearing on an expedited basis on a TRO motion, which would be an MVP. I, I hesitate, Your Honor, given the nature of these cases, the tenor and what I think is a realistic prospect of logistic consent to these days to file that adversary case if I'm going to to. Um, and that's why we have not filed it yet. Um, so I think, Your Honor, does that sort of address it? Um, it, it does. I think you're uh, proceeding in a very um, wise, wise fashion that makes uh, a tremendous amount of sense. So thank you. Um, okay, my uh, the only other general big picture thing I had, um, in, this, in part I'll ask Mr. Dyer a question um, he may have thought about, is I'll just note um, some of the investors or some of the parties in the case may be wondering why a business that was largely concentrated around Seattle is a debtor in a bankruptcy case over the Cascades in eastern Washington um, because certain of the debtor, debtors are uh, – formed under Washington state law, they are uh, domiciled within both districts, and therefore um, the Eastern District of Washington is um, a, a, an acceptable venue. Um, if anyone wants to bring a motion relating to this, I'll certainly consider it separately on the, on the merits, but um, th there's no reason the debtors um, can't file here, and in fact, we have case assignment rules on our website that expressly contemplate um, the filing of legal entities uh, formed under Washington law that are not um, actually located in eastern Washington. Um, this is the, I, I believe, since I've been on the bench, the first of those cases we've received. Um, and I guess, Ms. Dyer, I, I don't know, uh, one question my um, clerk's office had is, um, and I don't know if you're giving some thought about this and could answer this today, is just, where, um, given those geographic issues, the 341A meeting might be situated, um, because I, I know that location does need to go in the notice that gets sent out of the case commencement. So I guess, um, yes, Mr. Dyer? Yes, Your Honor, Gary Dyer here. Um, 
Our consideration on that, Your Honor, is um, not fully formed because I, I don't know that we're going to do it in a physical form. Uh, we will probably do that in an electronic or um, somehow create a uh, Zoom or Teams form if possible. Uh, I think a physical form um, in Yakima, where the court sits, would be very difficult for investors to get there because of the um, limited travel opportunities. So if it's going to be in a physical form, I suspect it's going to be uh, in Spokane, um, but that has not yet been decided by the United States trustee. Thank you, Mr. Dyer. I, I understand, and the court can take uh, judicial and, I suppose, personal notice of the difficulties traveling to and from Yakima. Um, I, my understanding is that the airport's hoping to have that improved by the um, end of this month. But uh, I'm familiar with what you're describing, Mr. Dyer. So um, I, I, I think um, a virtual meeting or perhaps a physical meeting um, in Spokane would make a lot of sense. But, uh, of course, defer to the U.S. trustee about uh, about those issues. The, the other part, I know that I've gotten a couple of inquiries is that we also, um, not only the 341, but there are now inquiries about a, a committee formation meeting. That one, I think, will end up being um, on the virtual platform. Um, but again, that's not finalized yet if we can get that together because we also have some issues related to whether we have a a complete representative list um, in the uh, top 30. That's under discussion with Debtors Council. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Dyer. And I recognize for, for stakeholders that don't live in the United States that traveling to Spokane probably know works better than traveling to Yakima or Seattle or anywhere else. So um, I, I, I understand, and I'm, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad your office is working with the debtors on that. Okay, uh, before we turn to the more substantive things, any um, would anyone else like to be heard just with any general comments about the case? And, and it's really just, uh, I'm obviously not deciding anything today other than what's squarely presented um, in the motions that have been filed. Um, but I'm always happy to hear from the stakeholders and don't want to cut anyone off if um, they'd like to say anything. So um, I'll provide that opportunity now. Your Honor, Jay Kornfeld of Bush Kornfeld representing the, uh, the group that's called the Ad Hoc Note Holder Group. Um, it sounds like you've read what we were able to file this morning, so I won't belabor that. It's primarily consistent with what Mr. Gruley has shared with the court, and we appreciate the transparency of that. <clears throat> I think as you and Mr. Gruley have emphasized, and I wish to as well, um, the, uh, the speed is important and recognizing that you know, as best as we can all tell, we have equity in real estate in this case that's probably in the neighborhood of 10% of the outstanding liabilities on a good day. Um, and so I think we all recognize the need to, uh, to be efficient in how we administer these cases. Um, our client group is consisted of 28 different individual investors. Each one of them has invested at least in the low six figures up to uh, about a million seven as the largest. So uh, there's about 18 or 19 million dollars of investment represented in that group. Um, I think there are other groups 
that exist in the case that are, are kind of um, categorized and represented um, as a group as well that I've talked to over the last week. Um, we look forward to um, this case moving forward as quickly as possible. I've been in touch with Mr. Dyer just in terms of uh, the desire to obviously have a committee constituted as quickly as possible in this case, even more so than most, where it does seem that the, the real parties and in interest here will be the investors that are, as far as I can tell, um, either all or largely all unsecured creditors, uh, and, and uh, we're anxious to have that um, in place so that that voice can be a consistent and participating voice in the case. Uh, I, I think beyond that, not really anything to add other than with respect to the real estate. Um, it, we will we will work with uh, the debtors professionals and or you know the committee will when it's in, when it's in place. Uh, I think the goal there is to to make sure that it is monetized if there are opportunities to clearly appreciate and increase the value of that real estate through an investment. Um, by all means, we should. If not, I'll just keep in mind and say to to all of us on this call, to the extent that we're not all Washington practitioners, that the real estate excise tax exemption uh, is effective once a plan is confirmed, um, and not before. That it roughly is, you know, in the two to three percent range, depending on the sale price, and so it just underscores a mechanism for saving. Uh, dollars of this estate to have a plan confirmed as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to do and a lot to understand, but uh, that's really the focus that my group has right now in terms of moving this case forward. Very good. Uh, thanks, Ms. Kornfeld. Um, would anyone else uh, just like to make any general remarks? Okay. Um, why don't we then turn to the motions. Um, first, as I said, uh, we'll start with the request for certain time. Um, would anyone on the phone, uh, is there any objection to the court uh, shortening time and hearing the underlying motions today? Okay, hearing no objection, and given that we're all here um, and that parties uh, have, have received notice, are participating, and uh, responses have been filed, and the court concludes that shortening time for first day relief uh, today is appropriate certainly get that Friday or weekend filing. Um, setting the first day hearing on a Wednesday would not be atypical. Um, I have a couple minor uh, drafting nits on the order that I'd ask debtors counsel to just tweak um, and then resubmit and we'll, we, we will get this entered. Um, first, on page two, line three of the order, there's a stray duplicative definition of the debtors after Rule 1007C of the Federal Rules of Bankruptcy Procedure debtors are redefined, I think that just can be struck. Then on page two, line 18, um, this will be a common comment to several of the orders. Uh, notice of the hearing is provided in the motion. Uh, instead of shall be deemed, we can just say is. Um, I'm not a big fan of shall, we, shall be deemed. So notice of the hearing as provided in the motion is good and sufficient notice under the circumstances. And with those minor myths, um, I will uh, grant that motion and enter that order. All right, next, um, the motion to limit notice. Um, so here I would have entered this on an ex parte basis and just made my minor nits um, subject to, I wanted to hear um, Mr. Dyer if you had any reaction to the 
email proposal. Um, I have a reaction, Your Honor, which is that seems to be the ordinary course, according to Mr. Miller. So I would say that that probably is okay. I think that as long as anybody can add themselves to the physical uh, mailing list, um, that they can opt out of the, the email um, approach if they wish. And the second is that um, I believe that that then imposes on Mr. Miller and his crew to maintain the email list in a current basis, even if you get bounce backs, then you're going to have to put them on a different approach if you get a bounce back on the emails that you've been using to do this noticing. So I think that moves it either into Mr. Miller's category or EMC is going to assist in that, then those two parties would have to be on top of keeping those things current so that uh, nobody gets dropped even though the business may have had one or two or three emails from any particular party. I think the court can authorize that in the modern world, but I think it brings with it some other duties that probably we may not have all thought through, but we just have to use some good common sense in, in terms of getting and keeping those lists current so that nobody gets dropped um, from getting the notice they're supposed to do. Um, but other than that, you know, having the website and those kind of things I think are also very helpful, particularly for the, the folks who are not in the United States. And for folks who are in the United States, that's maybe a, a faster way for them to, to stay abreast of it uh, in, a, in a conjunction with getting emails that something's being filed or get copies uh, by email. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Dyer. I uh, appreciate that, and the court agrees that email um, services proposed uh, make sense under the circumstances of uh, this case. I have uh, one um, minor addition to the order uh, where we're carving things out that I think is consistent with what the motion says. I'll just kind of note that um, I did see there are there's um, a bucket of investors for which the debtors have no physical address at all. Um, I'm obviously not deciding this today, but I consistent with what's carved out from the email service, I do have a little bit of concern about whether the debtors will be able to bind people to a plan or a bar date um, without giving them at least some form of mailed notice. So I don't know if, as to that category of people if there's any way to track down how to reach them by mail for the things that we're carving out from the email service. Um, let me just ask uh, Mr. Uh, Tarazi if uh, there's anything you'd like to cover or add um, as it relates to uh, this motion in order. Thank you, Your Honor. Excuse me, Khaled Tarazi and Buckhalter on behalf of the debtors, uh, or the, excuse me, proposed counsel to the debtors. Uh, I, I don't have anything to add. I think it's a relatively uh, straightforward, actually with most of these first day motions, relatively straightforward relief and um, factual background. So. Uh, with, uh, I understand your comments on the on the debtors that we excuse me the investors that we don't have physical mailing addresses for. Um, I wouldn't necessarily uh, want this in the order, but we can obviously uh, take steps to see if we can get mailing addresses uh, by maybe sending an email to those debtors asking for uh, or excuse me those investors asking for them. But aside from that, um, you know, I understand the rest of your comments. Okay, um, thank you. Uh, just a couple minor 
make some drafting things um, uh, that debtors would be so kind to fix these. Um, I think we could switch the caption over to the uh, main joint administration caption. In the title of the order, just minor knit, uh, we've got a one, two, and a three with a stray end uh, between the big one and two in the title, and then we should have a semicolon after limiting scope of notice, semicolon, strike the end, and then go to the Roman at two. Um, I don't feel super strongly about this, but I, I've seen, and I changed this in the joint administration order, um, I like to just say ETF with the number and then the number rather than just the number. I mean, it's not the most substantive thing in the world, but if we can just add the NO period in there, that would be good. Um, I also like this, is I, I know it's particular um, stylistic quirk of um, this court, but uh, I always like the lower C court. In my view, there's only one court in the country that gets to be the capital C court, and it's not the bankruptcy court in Yakima. Um, the final point I had, and the most substantive point, so in the, uh, I'm on page six of eight of uh, the proposed order um, that was, I think, an exhibit to ECF number seven, um, the further order list in the beginning of the paragraph. So this is the carve-out of things uh, that we're not doing by email. So filing proofs of claim, disclosure statement plan, et cetera. If um, you could add uh, a new uh, Romanet 6, make the existing Romanet 6, 7, that just says um, consistent with what I think the motion says and consistent with um, Romanet 9 above, uh, any motion or request for relief that directly affects um, the party receiving notice. So if we're, you know, doing something that directly affects rather than in a generalized fashion deals with a particular investor, I think they should get uh, non-email notice of that. Does that make sense? Yes, Your Honor, that makes sense. And on your comment on the capital C versus lowercase C, I actually remember that from yesterday, you making that change consistently. And we tried to catch them all here, but force of habit, I suppose. So we will uh, be mindful of that moving forward. Okay. Very good. Thank you. And I, I appreciate uh, your tolerating my idiosyncrasy on that. So. Okay. Um, turning next to the tax motion, um, I understand this is to pay uh, pre, post, and straddle. Uh, taxes and fees largely relating to real estate, most of which is probably secured by the underlying property. Um, certainly seems appropriate. Does anyone on the phone have any um, objection or otherwise wish to be heard relating and we're only granting uh, interim relief today? Um, so uh, would, it, would anyone like to be heard as it relates to uh, the debtor's motion for interim authority to pay these taxes? Yes, Your Honor. Very dire here. Just on the pre-petition that taxes that have already become due, I don't think those should be included in this in this motion. The ones that are straddle and come due after filing and the ones that come due post filing, I think are all fine. But I, I don't see any need. Uh, I also had a discussion with Mr. Tarazi about if one if some pre petition debt somehow becomes an obstacle or in some way is inhibiting the progress in the case um, that they could renew it by giving uh, negative notice um, with the reasons why a pre-petition tax debt needs to be paid before a sale or the plan is confirmed. But that, those are my comments on it, Brian. 
Can I ask you, Mr. Geyer, if it's a pre-petition tax debt that's secured, um, does your view change such that it's accruing post-petition interest? And, and I understand if there's no lien or maybe even arguably if it's a priority claim, there's no downside to leaving it hanging. But if it's secured and post-petition interest and fees potentially accrue, um, there does seem to be some benefit in just getting rid of it. Um, I understand that, Your Honor, but I don't know that um, – I have to say that I don't know the counties over on the west side of the state. Like I know the counties on this side. Most of the counties on this side sort of stick with their priority approach. Um, you know, that's – and they, they often make deals on penalties and interest. So I can't really speak well to that on the economic piece for the west, uh, west side counties. Um, so, no, it doesn't really change my perspective on that, Your Honor. Um, and I also don't know what numbers we're talking about. The more de minimis, the more obviously it, um, it, it weighs in that fashion. But I don't know if people consider this to be de minimis on what we do know presently at the time. Thank you, Mr. Dyer. Um, any uh, other comments from anyone on the phone before I uh, come back to status? Uh, Your Honor, Jay Kornfeld, uh, again, for the ad hoc um, note holders. Just to address one issue Mr. Dyer raised to give the court and, and others a view, um, the, the county real estate taxes over here would definitely accrue penalties and not as successful as things sound like maybe on the east side to negotiate those. I think that um, in a situation like this, and again, maybe I'm penny-pinching, but prefer to see the real estate taxes that are clearly leanable and would generate interest and penalties be paid sooner rather than later. Thank you, Mr. Corfield. Um, Mr. Truck. Uh, nothing to add, Your Honor. Echoing what Mr. Kornfeld said, uh, you know, we're not looking here to uh, necessarily pay any just garden variety priority tax claims that aren't um, harming the estate. We're looking here for authority um, and really the discretion of Mr. Miller to uh, you know, look at assess a particular situation with respect to a tax or tax lien and if it is uh, harming the estate and there's money to pay it, then to get it paid and to stop the accruing of interest penalties or fees that would be uh, harming uh, general unsecured creditors. Can I ask you, and maybe it's a Mr. Miller question, if you have a sense of the uh, magnitude of pre-petition so, so arose and became due, so not the straddle, not the post-petition, but what the category Mr. Dyer is describing, um, that the debtor would want to pay in the next couple of weeks. Um, my, I, I'm just trying to get a sense of kind of if we table this, this one category for the final and I authorize payment of the straddle and the post-petition now, and then we defer the pre-petition, is that a large category or is that a relatively small um, amount that the debtors would otherwise be intending to be paying during that uh, gap period between interim approval and final approval? Well, the total, Your Honor, in the, um, that we had in the motion is that is past due as of the petition date is $88,812. Now, we don't know. We haven't had a chance to uh, drill down to understand how many of, or how much of that is subject to a lien and what the amount is of the accruing interest penalties, fees, et cetera, if there are any that are currently accruing uh, those types of, of uh, expenses. So 
Your Honor, I'm not sure, and I don't think Mr. Miller knows either. We just haven't had the time to be able to do that investigation. But, you know, again, all we're looking for is authority here to, over the next few weeks, be able to make that kind of investigation, and to the extent that it makes business sense to pay those to stop the accrual as possible. Okay. Why don't, then, what I'll approve on an interim basis is I'll authorize the payment of any, and this, as you noted, is all in the debtor's discretion, so I'm not ordering payment of anything. I'll authorize payment of the post-petition and straddle taxes just generally. As to the pre-petition, I'll authorize it regarding taxes that the debtors determine or reasonably believe are secured by a lien on the property. And then, if there are other taxes outside of that, we can kick those to the final, and perhaps we'll have a better sense of what the numbers look like. But if there's, you know, X tax that's secured, or the debtors reasonably believe it to be secured, I'll authorize payment of that tax between the interim and final period. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay. Minor nits on this. Page 2, line 14. This is another idiosyncratic. I'm trying, we're on a campaign here in my chambers to eliminate unnecessary hereby's, so if you could just strike that. This is not particular to this case. We're on a hunt to cut hereby's in my order, so. Bottom of the page, notice as provided therein, rather than shall be deemed if they is, notice as provided therein is good and sufficient notice. And then top of the next page on three, terms and conditions of disorder rather than shall be, you can just say are immediately effective and enforceable. So, again, just cutting down kind of the legalism, so. Again, consistent with our goal in chambers to try and change things to a little more plain language, so. Okay. With those nits and as otherwise modified on the record for the period between interim approval and final approval, the court will grant the debtor's motion. Next, insurance. Any, why don't I start, Mr. Dyer, would you like to be heard relating to this motion? No, Your Honor. The counsel has answered my questions about this motion, so I don't have anything to raise. Okay. Would anyone else on the phone like to be heard relating to the insurance motion? Okay. Mr. Craig, I know it's slightly beyond what the debtors requested, but I would be prepared to sign this on a final basis today if you'd like, and we don't need to two-stage this one. We appreciate that, Your Honor, and certainly would take you up on that. I didn't want to be presumptuous, but we can certainly submit a revised order to that effect. And one thing, Your Honor, before I do forget, because we dove right into these motions, I just wanted to make sure that the declarations of Mr. Miller that were in support of the procedures motion and his first day declaration are admitted into the record because they support these motions we're talking about, and those are at docket entries 4 and 23, respectively. Thank you, Mr. Craig. Does anyone on the phone object to admission of either of the two reference declarations? Both of the Miller declarations with the docket numbers recited by Mr. Terrazzi will be admitted into the record. 
Um, all right, a uh, couple minor notes on the insurance order. Um, first, in the prefatory paragraph, there's just a minor grammatical glitch for interim and final orders authorizing the debtors to one pay, two maintain, and then three granting. So I'll um, leave it to you to just, there's a couple different ways you can fix that, so I'll leave it to you, you know, just move authorizing the debtors to into one, two, or, yeah, do you see what I'm talking about? Yes, sir. Okay. Yep, got it. Um, page two, line 22, there's another hereby. Um, page three, line eight, another Shelby Dean, which can be an is, and then uh, page 12, a Shelby, which can just be an R, and that was it. On that one. Okay, um, next, uh, the debtor's motion um, to extend the deadlines to file their schedules and sofas. Um, I've reviewed the motion. Um, Mr. Kornfeld. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, and we did speak with Mr. Gruley and, and Mr. Miller about what we've proposed, and, and they can respond in terms of whether it's, um, it's something that can be achieved. But what we've suggested is that at least within the 30 days post-petition, uh, that they endeavor to, to provide the schedules A and B, the property schedules, essentially uh, assets, um, D, which would be secure claims, the sofas, and then what I think would be useful, and we probably already have it, but if it's going to, going to change and be refined, it would be helpful to have um, Mr. Miller at least provide the case with an, an updated estimate of liabilities after they've had a chance to spend more time with the debtor's financial records. Um, again, just in the vein of trying to move things along, even if it's piecemeal, prefer that than, than waiting longer for a, a, you know, a complete and thorough set of schedules and so forth. Thank you, Mr. Kornfeld. Um, Mr. Uh, Tarazi, or well, uh, before I give it back to you, would, would anyone else on the phone like to be heard today um, regarding the debtor's request for an extension of uh, these filing deadlines? Uh, Your Honor, Gary Dyer with the U.S. Trustee's Office. Um, we've made a request for um, at least the top 20 of any operating companies um, because we don't know what the representative body should look like. The top 30 is all investors according to what we can determine. Uh, now we don't know that that will be representative of the creditor body on both the portfolio and vault side. Uh, Mr. Trazi is going to uh, check uh, about that with um, Mr. Miller and um, advise us here um, whether or not that can be done. But we would we would want that as soon as possible in order to try and get uh, the committee uh, in place with um, what would be a fully representative and not just the investors as the only ones who are solicited uh, for committee membership. Thank you, Mr. Dyer. Um, that uh, makes good sense. I, I understand that point. Um, would anyone else like to be heard uh, today before I turn back to Mr. Tarazi? Uh, okay. Uh, Mr. Tarazi. Thank you, Your Honor. On uh, the issues that Mr. Kornfeld raised, uh, you know, we, we do think we can commit to Schedules A and B and Schedule D and uh, even an updated estimate in terms of the total 
determining the accuracy of, uh, based on the accounting and the books and records that we've seen. Um, so if we were forced to do that within the 30-day period, we think we may have to file it with subject to a lot of qualifications. Um, and, and we would prefer having the additional time, the 45 days that we're asking for in the motion, um, to make sure that we can file something that is as accurate um, as possible. Uh, but in the interim, it's, it's, uh, it would be helpful to Mr. Kornfeld's clients and to uh, you know, other parties in interest for us to get Schedules A, B, and uh, D on file. Uh, Mr. Miller believes that we can get that done by the, uh, by the 31st. And uh, what about the issue Mr. Dyer raised? In, in oh, yes, thank you, Your Honor. Well, the issue Mr. Dyer raised, we, we did, uh, we have been speaking uh, with Mr. Dyer about that. We think we can get him uh, some of the lists that would be helpful to him uh, within a couple of business days or so. We're not looking to drag that uh, for 45 days, certainly. Um, but it is a bit challenging to read through the total creditor list to um, uh, separate things out, uh, aside from the, you know, on a consolidated basis that we were able to do for the, for the top 30. So. Um, but we, we are working with Mr. Dyer, and we'll get, it, get those, uh, the information from him that we would like uh, as expeditiously as possible. Um, Mr. Kornfeld, uh, how strongly do you feel about the SOFAs? I know that particularly here where Paladin's kind of getting dropped in and has to dig and recreate things and request your sure. hard filing with 30-odd entities. Understand the situation, Your Honor, and, and frankly, uh, you know, we've had a good enough um, dialogue with Mr. Miller and Mr. Grulli and, and his team that uh, I think we will continue to stay in touch with them. And, and you know, I, I understand that it's a mess and, and we can live with whatever the court and Mr. Miller think is appropriate. So that's, that's fine. We're not, not going to be pushy. I think the encouragement is the sooner the better, um, but um, fine with it. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Carnfield. All right, um, so what I'll do is I will um, grant a motion as requested with the November 15th deadline. Um, I'm not going to order this, but um, I think uh, I would encourage um, the debtors to file things when they're ready, when people are comfortable that they're ready on a, on a rolling basis. There's no reason all of this has to be done at once. And I will um, take and recall um, Mr. Crosby's uh, representation on the record that the debtors will use their uh, best efforts to try and get scheduled A, B, and D, um, as well as the estimate of total liability um, filed on or before the, the 31st. I'm not going to order that, but it's, um, the outside deadline will remain the 15th, but certainly I think that's appropriate, and if, if it's doable, it, um, it makes sense to get that done. Um, and the estimate of total liabilities perhaps can be provided um, to cancel even even before um, the schedules are formally filed. So, uh, very minor nits. Just recalling uh, the comments on a couple of the prior orders. Page two fourteen. There's a hereby in page two that can be struck. In page two seventeen is another shall be deemed that we can just change to and is um, notice of motion is good and sufficient notice. Otherwise, uh, that order looks good, and you will grant that motion with that signed. All right, uh, next is Mr. Christensen's um, consulting agreement. Um, Mr. Uh, Gruley, I don't know if you want to make any initial comments. I've, I've read the motion. I've read uh, the declaration and the amended declaration attaching the agreement. I've read the agreement. Um, 
questions that we filed earlier today. Um, I think I understand things, but happy to happy to hear from you, and then I'll give other uh, parties in the case a chance. Yeah, very briefly, Your Honor, again, for the record, Julian Garuli for proposed counsel for the debtors and debtors in possession. Your Honor, um, I guess, firstly, Your Honor, I would ask the court to admit into the record both, both of those declarations, the docket number 18 and docket number 40, um, 40 being the uh, additional declaration that attached the consulting agreement. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Ms. Ruley. Any objection to the court admitting uh, the reference to more declarations and the attachment? Hearing no objection, both uh, declarations will be admitted in, in evidence. Thank you, Your Honor. And then very briefly, um, the debtors believe that Mr. Christensen's cooperation is critical in really unlocking the value of the field property portfolio. Mr. Miller and his team, as Your Honor knows, have only been on the scene for a short amount of time. And I can tell the court that that time has been necessarily devoted to addressing really immediate and pressing issues in preparing for this Chapter 11 filing. The Paladin team is not right now in a position to address um, many of the real property issues without assistance, including permits, development issues, architect fees, and other, other things along those lines. Um, and, and we really do have to address those in order to preserve and maximize the value of the real property. Um, I would also point out, as I mentioned previously, Your Honor, approval of the consulting agreement uh, today on an interim basis is a condition proceeding to Christensen's uh, gift guarantee, and that, that gift, as, uh, as we'll talk about in a bit, is absolutely necessary for the success of these cases. Um, Your Honor, I would just state for the record, and this is in Mr. Miller's declaration in support of this motion, but that the consulting agreement was heavily negotiated at arm's length and in good faith by Mr. Miller on behalf of the debtors. Um, and in addition to that, its terms have been reviewed, and I believe have the support of that our neighborhood group. And so for these reasons, Your Honor, uh, I request that the court enter the order. Thank you, Mr. Lilly. Um Mr. Dyer, any uh, thoughts from the U.S. trustee relating to this motion? Um, Your Honor, my only thought was to ask you to um, carve out a time by which the committee um, can review it and bring those comments to the court if they have any regarding this. Um, so it's something like a, a time period from the date of appointment of the committee be inserted um, so that they can um, take a look at it and give it some consideration on whether they think there's any problem that ought to be addressed. I'm not sure that there would be any um, under what's been filed, but I'd like to reserve those rights for the uh, committee to have that opportunity. Thank you, Mr. Dyer. Um, I did see we're two-staging this in interim and final. Um, in the second to last paragraph, of the order contemplates um, we'll have a final hearing, which I assume will be the same as the final fifth hearing with a new objection deadline, which will need to be hopefully after the committee gets appointed. Um, so I, I was thinking that would uh, track so they'd have an opportunity to um, weigh in. Uh, certainly that's appropriate. And um, I did see in the motion and it's in the order that the uh, air length assignment component of the requested relief is only um, going to be done at the final stage. So the committee 
also, I assume, will be uh, participating in um, taking the tires on that as well. Um, so, thank you, Mr. Dyer. Um, would anyone else on the phone like to be heard relating to the uh, debtor's request that I approve on an interim basis, enter into a consulting agreement with Mr. Christensen? Okay. Um, hearing no objection, and uh, given the motion, I think um, the debtors have adequately um, justified this. Uh, I have, as Mr. Dyer is aware, I have another pending Chapter 11 case in which um, the principals and the analog to the estate representative are not um, getting along, I think to put it mildly. Um, and the net effect of that has been, a, in, in my view, a significant decrease in the value of that estate that will ultimately be realized by the stakeholders. Um, Mr. Christensen's uh, resigned and is no longer um, an employee or an officer of any of the debtors, although um, Mr. Miller can uh, get certain information from him through the tools provided in the bankruptcy code. He really can't effectively force Mr. Christensen to do any work or to cooperate other than uh, at the bare minimum level that would be required, for example, in connection with the 2004 exam. And that creates the same prospect um, that I've encountered in my other Chapter 11 case where the people who are most knowledgeable about the debtor and um, could be most helpful in terms of maximizing the value of its assets um, either uh, don't want to or are actively opposing co uh, cooperating with um, the estate representative's um, efforts. So having uh, Mr. Christensen, who does uh, certainly seem to have um, unique and particularized knowledge, uh, contribute to the effort here, um, provides value to the estate, maximizes the value of the estate, uh, the compensation made um, available to Mr. Christensen under the consulting agreement does not strike the court as unreasonable, um, given the effort that will likely be involved. And uh, as noted in the motion, based on the court's independent review of the agreement, um, there is no release, indemnification, or the like um, that is going to somehow result in the, the estate um, indirectly taking on a more significant liability than the monthly payments, or in the estate um, inadvertently losing any uh, causes of action that it may or may, may or may not have relating to Mr. Christensen. So, um, I think this is appropriate. I'm happy to grant the motion on an interim basis, and as Mr. Geyer noted, uh, I expect the committee will take a look at this as well, but, and if there's a problem that the committee has at the final stage, um, we'll hear about it at that hearing. A um, couple minor comments on the order. Uh, first, in the leading paragraph, I'm looking at page one, um, pursuant to FRBP 6003 and 4 in sections 105, 363, and it says, 544, I think that probably should be 554. Um, I guess Mr. Gerouli and Mr. Tarzan. Yes, Your Honor. That makes sense. Okay. All right. On the next page, there's an ordering paragraph ordering that the consulting agreement is negotiated at arm's length and, then that, and is the product of good faith negotiation. I'd like to just strike that paragraph. I'm not finding today that it's not. Um, I have every indication to think it, that it is, but that's more of a factual finding than something I'd be ordering. Um, and I, I'd like the committee just to take a look at that as well, and if they have any concerns, um, I'm sure they'll let me know. So um, I don't think it's necessary for me to include that uh, further order paragraph um, 
in this order at, at this point. Um, Ms. Gouley, any objection on the debtor's end to taking that out? No, Your Honor. I, uh, approval of the order so modified. Just a, okay. Uh, Mr. Lesnick, any concerns on your end? Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, no, that's understandable at the interim stage. We would like that finding at the, in the final order if the court finds it appropriate, but uh, for now, it's okay to believe that. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so let's take that paragraph out. Um, next paragraph, any assignment of the debtor's interest in airlines, if you could change the shell to just will. Shell sometimes means may or will, and I would like to be a little more precise about that. Um, final full paragraph on the page, towards the end of the page, there's another shall be deemed that can just be is good and sufficient notice. And then the next paragraph, another shall be that uh, terms and conditions we could just, the terms and conditions of this order are immediately effective and enforceable. So be a little more declarative about that. So with uh, those changes, um, the court will grant the motion on an intra basis and uh, sign this order as modified. Okay, uh, finally, tip uh, financing. Um, uh, I saw um, the ad hoc note holders filed an objection relating to the effective interest rate. Um, I'd like to hear more further about that. Um, I'll hear uh, any other issues people raise, and then I have some comments on the proposed intermortar. I'll just note um, I've seen, and indeed when I was in practice, I've drafted uh, much more aggressive interim dip orders than this one, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised to see a lot of the tweaks and caveats that um, would typically uh, be required by a judge to be inserted on some of the provisions have already been inserted. I have a couple where um, I'd like to make some changes, but uh, fewer than I thought might be the case. So um, likely the proposed gift lenders council showed a little more restraint certainly than um, I have in prior years past, um, which I appreciate. Um, so, uh, Mr. Grulli. Thank you, Your Honor. For the record, Julian Grulli, proposed counsel for the debtors and debtors in possession. Your Honor, I absolutely agree with that. I know that um, as a typical, um, just a little bit behind the scenes, the dip lender has a pen on the initial draft of the dip order, and, and I, like you, was pleasantly surprised with its proposed form, not that there weren't a lot of, you know, issues and deadlines going back and forth, but I, I thought this was an excellent starting point. I would tell you, Ms. Uh, uh, Your Honor, that counsel for the dip lender, Mr. Rubenstein, from the Logan Road firm, is on, um, and he's, he's bankruptcy counsel for the dip lender and has been, as you'd imagine, working really uh, actively with us to, to try to get this order um, in, in the shape you see it, which we very much appreciate. So, Your Honor, before I do a very brief presentation um, in support of this, the dip motion, I would request, Your Honor, that the court admit into the record uh, Mr. Miller's dip declaration at document number 34. Thank you, Mr. Gouley. Any objection to admission of Ms. Miller's declaration in support of the dip financing motion? Hearing no objection, uh, that declaration will be admitted in evidence. Thank you, Your Honor. So, so briefly, um, and I know, Your Honor, and thank you for taking the opportunity to to read what is, you know, maybe in the scheme of things, not the not the longest dip order or dip credit agreement, but, but 
absolutely on short and time looking at this issue. We very much appreciate uh, your honest consideration. Uh, the, the terms of the gift financing are laid out in the proposed gift order, which is an exhibit to the motion, as well as the gift uh, loan agreement, which is also attached to the motion. Uh, the gift provides for uh, $5.25 million in uh, gift availability. There's an option, as your honor may have seen, for the gift to be upsized to $6.75 million if the debtors elect to seek uh, a priming. Uh, a priming fee. That is not something to be clear, Your Honor, that we're asking for today. Um, if and when the debtors determine that we want to undertake um, that request, we, we would uh, obviously let the court parties in interest know, including the, the stakeholder related to it, and would contemplate, Your Honor, additional briefing um, and likely evidence on the issue. But that, that is not a today issue. Uh, on an interim basis, the debtors uh, the gift facility provides for uh, $2.5 million to be uh, available upon interim approval and satisfaction of the other uh, interim gift funding conditions. Uh, $500,000 of that number, Your Honor, as you likely saw, is a roll-up of the pre-petition case loan. Your Honor, uh, in, in my personal view, that is pretty much market, and I can tell, Your Honor, that that bridge loan was absolutely necessary to assure uh, the debtors, the estate, and stakeholders that we were able to file these uh, cases in the manner um, that they were and, and to get as much uh, consensual sort of underbrush cleared as possible um, in advance of cases. Um, so there is that roll-up piece. Of the collateral package, Your Honor, broadly speaking, is a first lien, a first gift lien on all unencumbered assets for debtors and a second lien on all uh, encumbered property and super priority administrative claims. Uh, critically, Your Honor, um, as we've talked about a bit, but I do think it's worthwhile to emphasize here again, uh, that Mr. Christensen has pledged uh, on a contingent and non-recourse basis three uh, properties, these are non-debtor properties in support of the gift. Um, as outlined in Mr. Miller's declaration, the gift facility would not have been extended without this additional credit support. Uh, I do want to um, highlight for the court also the two uh, conditions preceding to the effectiveness of that guarantee, one of which we have not satisfied, which is uh, Your Honor's approval of the consulting agreement, and the second, which is also satisfied, Your Honor, now that we have filed the stipulation with respect to the note holder stays that, uh, that he spoke about at the beginning of the hearing. Um, so those are good developments. Your Honor, uh, I think last, lastly I would mention that the debtors will of course be subject to a gift budget which has been actively and heavily negotiated by Mr. Miller really on behalf of the debtors and um, the business principles at Serene. Uh, that budget is attached also to the gift motion. There is a carve out of course in section 2.2 for professional fees and other uh, typical uh, charges that we've seen a carve out. And then finally, Your Honor, I would, I would just close by saying that as established in Mr. Miller's declaration, the discipline was uh, the subject of intense and arm's length negotiation between the debtors led by Mr. Miller and my firm and Serene Investments and their counsel, Logan Rhodes. Uh, the GIF offers the best available terms for financing these cases, 
situation for new lenders to step into, and I think that uh, should be something that is uh, considered by the court as a way that it is considered by Mr. Miller um, in agreeing with the terms of his financing. Your Honor, the debtors also submit uh, that the debtors' determination to enter into the gift facility is a question of the debtors' business judgment. Here, the facts and circumstances of each Chapter 11 cases and the facts outlined in the Miller Declaration establish clearly a uh, reason business justification for the gift financing, and it should therefore be approved. So, Your Honor, with that, unless you have any questions for me, and I deserve to, to respond to any comments any other parties may have with respect to the gift, we would respectfully request that the court enter the interim gift order if preferred. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Dooley. Um, the ad hoc note holder group indicated in its response that it believes that all-in effective pricing of the dip loan is an interest rate of at, at or close to um, 30% and um, expresses its concern that uh, that number is too high. Um, I'd like to hear from you, Mr. Miller, um, uh, your, your thoughts about that. Yes, Your Honor. For the record, Julian Gourley for the proposed capital for the debtors and debtors in possession. Your Honor, uh, there, there is no getting around the fact that this is very expensive capital. Um, Your Honor, the gift was market tested um, by Mr. Miller as outlined in his declaration. Um, Serene was the only lender uh, based on that pre-petition marketing process that was willing to extend any gift financing to these debtors and would only do so after uh, after securing the credit support by Mr. Christensen, the pledge of the non-debtor uh, real property. Um, there were no alternatives, Your Honor. Um, and, Your Honor, I would submit that Mr. Miller's declaration established the reason business justification for the debt and its terms, and we would also submit, Your Honor, that, uh, that there is no contrary evidence uh, before the court today um, on, on the market or any alternative financing. Um, I, I, you know, personally, Your Honor, I wish that were the case, but it simply is not. And Mr. Miller is on the line, Your Honor, uh, to the extent um, your question is uh, okay. Uh, thank you, Mr. Gouley. I don't like um, taking testimony over the phone, and I'm not sure if that'll be necessary, um, but um, I, I may just have some comment without being sworn. Um, but let's hear from uh, Mr. Kornfeld first. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, first, I, I do want to say that the, the ad hoc uh, note holders appreciate the fact that there is debt financing. Um, and raising the issue is not meant to be overly critical. It's meant to be about dollars and cents. Um, I think we read the DIP uh, agreement correctly that at the end of the day, um, there is um, uh, a repayment premium that effectively sets a floor of, of 30%. Um, one of the challenges here, and this goes back to um, you know the, the discussion about asset values, et cetera, is we don't have in the record um, values of the real estate collateral. Um, some of it is unencumbered. The sense of Kenmore property and the UW 17th Avenue property appear to be 
um, unencumbered based on um, Mr. Miller's declaration. Likewise, Mr. Christensen has provided a guarantee. As I understand, it has provided his residence as backup collateral of that guarantee, um, uh, as well as other property. Again, um, not evidence in the record of the value, so it's not possible for the court nor um, our group to comment on the values. Um, as I've as I've shared, um, based on what we have understood, there is you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 to 25 million dollars of equity. Um, in the in the debtor's real estate portfolio, I do not know if that's accurate in terms of it being too high or too low. Uh, my understanding is there's equity in Mr. Christensen's um, residence as well, uh, such that at least in terms of looking at the coverage here and knowing that we're dealing with a liquidation case, um, it does appear to us, again, no market evidence before the court that 30% is on the high side of, of the market here, um, just to put the numbers in stark uh, contrast, the 30% of the 5.25 would generate a recovery of about 1.575, 25% would, would generate a recovery of about 1.32 million, um, so you know, roughly a quarter of a million dollars um, for the five points um, that we've requested the court consider. I uh, recognize it's interim, and I recognize that we can all work to uh, to develop more evidence about this. Again, appreciate the fact that we have the dip financing. It is essential to running the case. would like to see a pricing um, reduction, uh, and that's where we're coming from in terms of our thoughts today. Thank you, Mr. Corfield. Um Ms. Dyer, I'd like to hear from you about um, really any uh, Thoughts probably that Office of the U.S. Trustee has relating to the motion or the order, or any other any other concerns um, from your end. Um, my thoughts on reading through this, Your Honor, was I can't really see where the cash collateral is coming from, from which entities, and I see what the uses of the borrowed money will be from the whole family of cases to spend money on that. But uh, I'd like clarity on that, but that may be something that can be um, given by the time of the final um, hearing on this motion, because um, we're not consolidated, we're only jointly administered, so I have some concerns about following the money and the cash collateral uh, there. Um, I also note that in November, there's a property sale that's critical to um, this budget. Um, and I don't know if council has any kind of update to talk about that aspect of this budget because if we get into um, November and don't have a property sale, um, we may have some serious problems under these numbers. Um, third point is um, the um, page 60, and the court may have already caught this, but page 60 in the order there's a reference to the Northern District of California. Um, I think we want that to be changed to this court. And on page 73, under the definitions, the U.S. Trustee Office should be the Spokane Office, um, not the one that's listed in the, the documents. Um, but with those comments, Ron, I don't have a whole lot more on the, um, the good financing either. It sounds like this is the only game in town. It sounds like uh, Mr. Guru is, is expressing to the court. Thank you. 
Thank you, Mr. Dyer. Um, would anyone else on the phone like to be heard uh, before I turn back to the debtors and also to uh, Mr. Rubenstein um, relating to the gift financing uh, motion or order? Okay, uh, Mr. Dooley, I don't. Um, I think I understand your response to Mr. Kornfeld's point. Really, um, Ms. Miller and 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 uh, the debtors tried the best they can, and this is the best you can do, at least on that interim basis. And I mean, from my perspective, it's an up or down decision. And if I say down, the case is over. And as Mr. Dyer said, this is really the only game in town. So I I. I get that. Um, if, if there's more you'd like to add on that, I'd be happy to hear from you. And then any reaction to Mr. Dyer's comments about the cash collateral issue and the property sale issue. And then um, I think Mr. Dyer's two uh, cleanup comments were well taken. Thank you, Your Honor. For the record, Julian Guru on behalf of the proposed counsel for the debtors and debtors in possession. Your Honor, uh, yeah, absolutely. The easiest points first, the, the final two, I think, in Mr. Dyer's notes. That absolutely will make those changes. Um, and then with respect to cash collateral, I think if it's helpful, Your Honor, I could share with you uh, my views about our game plan between now and the final hearing, uh, part of which is uh, colored by some of the very, very pressing issues that we had to address and try to develop um, sort of consensus around what's turning out to be a pretty consensual hearing, uh, Your Honor. Um, and one group that, candidly, Your Honor, I think we need to spend some time now engaging with if we have the protection that we have in the state is, is our pre-position mortgage lenders. Um, and so I would tell Your Honor that we are planning to endeavor with them to, to get them essentially signed up to consensual cash collateral use for the county needed in the budget between now and the final hearing. Uh, they did get notice of this hearing. I don't know if any of them are on the line. Um, our initial package proposal to them is outlined in this motion is that they would get uh, replacement adequate protection liens on the same property that they have um, and would get interest paid current. Um, these are mortgage lenders, uh, as I understand, which is speaking generally, that have obviously real property collateral that uh, some of which is generating income that basically needs to pay that with interest payments. But, you know, I, I, like I said, candidly have that in a little bit of a TBD bucket um, between the final hearing on those lenders. And, and if we obviously cannot get to a resolution with them, you know, if they have the benefit of a few more weeks, I think we, we could address that issue um, at the final hearing. Um, Your Honor, uh, with respect to the next point uh, on the property sale that takes into the budget, um, Your Honor, I would say that that is part and parcel with um, with uh, what I described in my introduction as one of our primary objectives and work streams and one that, like all of these, that we have to get uh, moving on um, as soon as possible during this hearing. Um, and that is to start to analyze and execute the game plans to maximize, monetize the value in the real estate assets. Some of those transactions, Your Honor, are already um, signed up to pre-position loan agreements, uh, excuse me, pre-position and purchase agreements, um, and we are analyzing right now um, how to proceed with those, but we do have, for example, uh, a buyer in hand uh, with respect to the sale that is baked into the budget. That, of course, Your Honor, is a 
tomorrow issue. We're not requesting any relief with respect to that today, but we absolutely would um, in connection with that transaction. If that answers the court's Mr. Dyer's question with respect to that. It does. Uh, thank you, Mr. Roy. Um, would anyone like to be heard uh, generally before I, I, I think that Mr. Rubenstein just spoke to my comments on the order? Okay. Um, I'm sorry. Please go. I'm sorry. Oh, no, this is uh, this is Vadim Rubenstein. I, I I just I wasn't. Did you did you want me to wait until you finish with your comments before I speak? I, if you generally like to be heard um, before I go in motion, sure. Uh, please please go ahead, sir. I just wanted to introduce myself to the court. Um, this is Vadim Rubenstein of Loeb and Loeb. We're counsel for Serene Investment Management. Um, I. I want to echo um, what uh, Mr. Gruley uh, indicated in terms of um, the, uh, the negotiations we've had and, and the relationship that we've developed um, since we've, been, we've gotten engaged in this case. Um, the debtors have been working tirelessly uh, through our involvement, and their efforts have really given us comfort um, in in establishing a, a, a good runway uh, for this case. It's, this is not a free-fall bankruptcy. Um, and uh, a lot of thought went into it. Um, and in that regard, a lot of effort went into it, into getting these DIP documents to where they are on our side. Um, this, is, this is a very labor-intensive, uh, diligence-intensive uh, facility that has taken an extreme an extended amount of time for uh, serene professionals to get their arms around, and that has required a, a good amount of work and a good amount of diligence uh, over a very short period of time. Uh, the, the pricing of the facility was heavily negotiated, and the terms of the, of the credit agreement and the dip order are very much, con very much connected to the pricing um, of the facility. Um, we do, uh, as Mr. Gruley indicated, we, we weren't as aggressive as perhaps other dip lenders would be under the circumstances. Um, understanding, uh, frankly, Your Honor, your courts, uh, this courts, uh, uh, how this court would view those and, and, and in essence, uh, understanding that the court would cut it back to, to where, where we are uh, today. Um, we will continue to support the debtors' efforts um, and continue to work cooperatively with the debtors to get a good result here. Um, I think our interests are aligned. Uh, we, we would like to see this, uh, this bankruptcy proceed apace and resolve itself uh, expeditiously. And uh, I, I think you, you can tell from the, the constraints we've put um, on the debtors um, in, in our documents. Um, we, we've given them um, a good amount of leeway uh, and a good amount of uh, independence to run this case as they see fit. Um, and so we would ask Your Honor uh, to take all of that into account in uh, assessing uh, this facility and the dip order. Thank you, Mr. Rubenstein. Uh, the court appreciates that. Um, all right. So um, I'm 
prepared to generally grant the debtor's motion and approve the requested interim relief. The court does share Mr. Kornfeld's concern generally about the pricing of this financing, but understands the concerns some lenders would have about jumping into the situation and certainly appreciates that this is the best the debtors can do. Once a committee gets up to speed and we're dealing with the final order, I'm sure the committee will take a look, and if the committee thinks there's somebody out there who can provide comparable financing at better terms, they will let the debtors know about it. Maybe it wouldn't be the first time in bankruptcy history it's happened that this lender gets swapped out because there's somebody out there who will put better terms on the table. But today is not that day, and the court's decision is really up or down on what's been presented to me, and I think the down outcome would be very bad if not disastrous for all stakeholders. So the really only option at this point is to approve even with the pricing. Mr. Miller, who is very experienced in this space, undoubtedly understands the cost of the money that's being provided under the BIT facility, and I'm authorizing the full amount of interim borrowing, but I'm sure it's not necessary given the pricing that is associated with the borrowing. Mr. Miller will not be drawing any more than is necessary to operate the debtors' business affairs and get us to a final hearing. Specifically with respect to the roll-off, although no one raised any issues about this, the court just for the record notes that there's nothing in the bankruptcy code that prohibits so-called roll-off of pre-petition indebtedness into a post-petition facility. That's widely authorized in most bankruptcy courts, maybe not all around the country, but the courts and the shares majority view on that. Here, the amount of the $500,000 debt that's being rolled up is reasonably sized in comparison to the overall BIT facility. It's not a case where 80% of the BIT is just rolling up the pre-petition personally in debt. The court also understands and appreciates that the amount that's getting rolled up is only recently lent to the debtors, and we could just change the timing around a little bit and have a more disorganized filing and do the entire amount of the financing on a post-petition basis, but that ultimately is not good for anyone and not in the interest of the estate or stakeholders. So extending what is essentially a brief pre-petition bridge or pre-petition BIT that then gets rolled up into a formal BIT makes sense, and I'm not aware of any provision in the bankruptcy code that even arguably prohibits that, so the court's prepared to approve that roll-up. This was just a couple minor comments. One, as I mentioned, I like small C on quotes. I know this is a longer order. I've signed other orders with the big Cs like fail orders or confirmation orders if it's too much work to go through and fix that. If it's not a lot of work, I'd appreciate it, but if not, that's fine. I did have just a couple more substantive things, and I think, Mr. Rubenstein, you probably have the pen on this, so I should direct my comments and questions. Sure. Okay. So page two in the preparatory period after we define bankruptcy rules, there's a sentence talking about the corresponding local rules of the district court, and I wasn't sure what that was talking about. 
Okay, we will we will make the appropriate reference to the local rules. Okay, yeah, I, I do just bankruptcy. So I'll, I, I know some. I think there are some district, some courts around the country in which the local rules are technically promulgated by the district court. Here, our district court in its local rules has authorized the bankruptcy court to promulgate its own uh, bank, local bankruptcy rules, which we do um, and have. So the district court's not really involved with our, our local rules. So. Now that's I, I would tell you that that's the Northern District of California. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know there are some places where the district court has a um, deeper involvement with the uh, details of local practice. Yep. Um, all right. So next on page 22, paragraph 2.3.4. Yes, I'm there. And, and I, I guess this is an issue more for people who may not be on the phone today. Um, but consistent with, with what Mr. Dyer said about we're just jointly administered at, at this stage, I'd like to strike the on a joint and several basis line. Um, I, that effectively cross collateralizes or uh, brings the, any 507B claims in on a, I mean, a full joint and several basis against each estate. Um, so that may or may not be warranted, but. Uh, in the event we're dealing with 507B claims, the court may want and conclude it's appropriate to apportion those uh, differently than joint and several. So let me just pause. Um, Would you prefer? I don't think I, I, I don't think your I don't think your client cares, um, Mr. Rubenstein. But uh, are there are any of the pre-petition mortgage lenders participating in today's hearing who would like to disagree with me about this? Okay. Um, well, they may show up at the final, but um, I think just striking that phrase entirely would uh, make me comfortable. Okay. No problem. Next, uh, page 24, paragraph 5.2. Uh -huh. Yes. The Marshall waiver. Um, do you have any severe objection to making that subject to the final? My sense is that given the nature of this case with numerous different entities with assets distributed and some encumbered pre-petition, some not. Um, this may be something the committee wants to think about before locking it in. I we will make it subject to final. Okay. Great. Thank you. Uh, the final comments, um, and again, this is a, I, I thought, a very clean and restrained order. Um, page 28, uh, paragraph 6.9. This is maybe me just being too uh, picky, and I guess. But the concern I have about this statement is I don't know what lenders the dip lender itself has. So if, for example, Serene has uh, a loan, right, with its the lender going into the dip lender um, has a lien on payment receivables or something, the payments remitted by the debtors in this case too serene would be subject to that third-party serene lender's encumbrance, right? So if I'm saying it's received free and clear by serene, I'm indirectly stripping off the liens that serene serene's lenders would have on serene, which I don't think is intended. Um, is, would the addition of the words um, to the debtors or the estate or the debtors' estate? Uh, at the conclusion 
of that sentence, free and clear of any claims, uh, charge, assessment, or other liability to the debtors or the estate. Uh, Ms. Gouley, any concerns about that? For the record, Julian Gouley, no, Your Honor, I think, I think that clarifies uh, the court's – Okay. Uh, that, that's unfine, and I recognize I'm probably over-luring this, but um, I think as strictly written, it would strip off any liens that Serene has, which I don't need to know about or care about, but um, I don't think anyone's intending to impact that relationship outside the estate. So. Understood. Um, otherwise, I thought uh, rest of the order looks good. Those were, those were all my comments. Great. Thank you, Your Honor. All right. Um, so we can talk about scheduling. Um, first, uh, Ms. Gouley, you were indicating you may want a hearing pretty soon on an adversary in the hero. Yes, Your Honor. For the record, Julian Gouley. Your Honor, if we do have, again, I, I do want to emphasize that I'm, uh, in this case, wearing the head of debtors' counsel, I think I have a duty to be optimistic, and so I am cautiously optimistic that we won't need such time. I do think that, uh, that we will get uh, the rest of the uh, note holders with active lawsuits on, on board with the stipulation that we saw filed. Uh, but it would be helpful, I think, in sort of driving the timing of that to know that you know, we will be in front of Your Honor next week if we have to. Um, would Your Honor have time either the middle or, or end of next week? Um, so I, I've uh, argument in another case that um, there's a lot of moving parts to the 13th, but we could do, uh, say, any time the afternoon of the 12th, provided that the adversary proceeding in the uh, motion for a TRO are filed no later than the end of the day on the 10th. Okay. Yes. Except that would be great. Yes. If they're filed um, later than the 10th, uh, we could schedule that for the afternoon of Tuesday the 17th. Your Honor, filed by the end of the day on the 10th, it works for the debtors. And okay. I, would, I, I would like to, to have that comment, Your Honor, on the book. Okay, we will um, reserve, uh, how about 2 o'clock on Thursday the 12th? Yes. yes. Okay. Your Honor, uh, 2 o'clock, 2 p.m.? Yes, on Thursday the 12th, yes. Yes, thank you. We will set that aside um, if necessary. Um, okay, so we need final hearings on the BIP, Christensen Consulting, and the uh, tax motion. Um, what did the debtor roughly have in mind? Your Honor, uh, Mr. Rubenstein can add his thoughts to uh, the, the final BIP hearing. When he and I were talking this morning, and I confirmed with Mr. Miller, we could do it those last Mr. Dyer, do you have a rough sense of when a committee might be formed? I know the debtors owe you some information to help you out with yeah, that. I, I do not, Your Honor. The problem is, is we have uh, as the top 30 list that's filed and the record shows. Uh, there's some distance in getting information 
to those potential committee members, uh, as well as getting um, an updated list from the various operating companies that Howard um, may be able to get to us. So I, I can't give you a good sense of when that might occur in conjunction with the end of October. That's probably early, going with my gut check on that, but that's just my gut check. Okay. Um, Mr. Gould, were you thinking we'd do this hearing in person or by phone? Um, I, if testimony is necessary, I don't like and typically don't take remote testimony. I guess you don't know until so you know what the issues yeah. are. Yeah, exactly, Your Honor. I mean, I would, um, uh, I would hope that we could do it by phone, which would mean that if, you know, largely the issues resolved and we've not used testimony. Um, Your Honor, if, if that is the case, though, just for my own travel schedule, it would be better if it were the 30th or the 31st of October, um, and that does give the Republic Committee a couple more days. Yep. Okay. Um, why don't uh, we set, so we'll set um, the final hearings for October 30th um, at 10 at starting at 9.30 a.m., presumptively in person um, in, in Yakima, but if uh, Dennis Council contacts chambers and indicates there won't be a need to present evidence, um, we can convert that to a telephonic hearing. I'll note that if the committee is not appointed um, on or before October 16th, um, I, I, I'm going to need to move that hearing to the – if um, – that hasn't happened, the party should contact chambers and uh, we'll provide a new date. Um, and perhaps I'll, I'll have a brief telephonic status conference just to get a sense of um, where things are at in the committee process. I think in fairness to the committee um, and as everyone on the phone's experienced in other cases, you know, they should have two weeks if possible to kind of kick the tires and get up to speed before the final hearing. So. Does that work okay for everyone? That works for the debtors, Your Honor. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Mr. Rubenstein? That day is fine for me, Your Honor. Thank you. Okay. And Ms. Plenfield? Yes, that's fine, Your Honor. Thank you. Okay. And Mr. Dyer, does that sound all right? Yes. I understand uh, what the court is doing, Your Honor. Yes. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, we will get that on calendar. And again, um, please let us know. Uh, on the morning of the 17th, if a committee hasn't been, well, um, I guess I'll know because I'll sit on the, but please re reach out to Chambers on the morning of the 17th if there's no committee and I'll um, set a telephonic status conference for the 17th or the 18th just so we can figure out a new date and uh, see where things are at based on where the, where the ball lies um, then, so. Your, Your Honor, would you uh, like the debtors to do better, Mr. Dunn? Happy to do it. Um, why, why don't the debtors take the lead and just um, include the other stakeholders on an email, and then um, I'll provide some dates and everybody can be on the same page. Okay, um, next, I was thinking it would make sense to have some uh, preset monthly omnibus hearings in at least November, December, January. Um, we could go another month into February, um, and I also don't know if we need more frequently than monthly, so um, Mr. Willie, what do you think? Your Honor, I, I think we will, aside from 
Your Honor, the potential for the TRO hearing, I don't anticipate needing a hearing date before the second day hearing. Just by way of preview, Your Honor, we'll likely treat that second day hearing as an omnibus hearing for other motions. Hopefully that we can get before Your Honor in time to do that on regular notice. I think if Your Honor is willing, it would be helpful for the week, for at least a couple of months immediately after the hearing on the 30th, to at least set a hearing date every two weeks as we're addressing some of these property items. I think it might be nice to have hearing dates handy. Or we can reach out, Your Honor, and find out whatever the court prefers. I just do anticipate it being fairly active the first three months. Sure, that makes sense. Okay, I will take a look at my calendar and set preset dates which will be specified in a scheduling order. I don't have that in hand right now, but I'll set two in November, December, January, and then we can revisit where we're at. And of course, if things come up where another hearing is necessary between those, just let us know and we'll do our best to get something off that track schedule. And if there's a hearing where there's really absolutely nothing to do, nothing set, and no updates, just contact Chambers and we can cancel those too. There's no point in getting everyone on the phone if there's nothing to do that day. Thank you. Okay. Very much appreciated. Thank you. All right. Anything further that anyone would like to cover today? Ms. Brewer. No, not from the debtors. Thank you again, Your Honor, to you and your staff and the parties. We really appreciate all the efforts that everyone has put into making this a successful entry into Chapter 11. So thank you. Ms. Kornfeld. No, thank you very much, Your Honor. Mr. Dodd. No, Your Honor, thank you. Any of the other parties on the phone? Okay. Well, I appreciate everyone's time and efforts on both today and generally. I concur with Mr. Rubenstein that the debtors have done a good job avoiding kind of a freefall mess, which this case could have been. It's clear the parties have been working hard on the motions and the papers and being thoughtful about getting the debtors into bankruptcy. Obviously, this is a complex situation, so I appreciate everyone's work and efforts. It makes things easier for the court, and I certainly appreciate the collaborative spirit in which the debtors have been approaching matters and working with the various stakeholders. And I would encourage, as always, for that to continue, if and to the extent possible. So thank you, everyone, for your time. We'll potentially be speaking again, at least with debtors' counsel, next week. If not, then potentially. Well, I'll set October 30th as a preset omnibus hearing date, so if we're not doing the final hearing on the dip in the Christensen matter, we can take up anything else that comes up in the interim. So we'll likely speak on the 30th in any event. So thank you all. Have a great rest of the day and a great rest of the week. Thank you, Your Honor. We're adjourned.